Welcome to At the Point of a Knife. I'm your host, Eric Navaretti. Each episode, I sit down with the writers, producers, directors behind the modern era of horror and explore their inspirations, setbacks, and what it really takes to make your favorite films. Today, I'm interviewing writer-director Chris Von Hoffman. He's behind the post-apocalyptic horror thriller, Drifter, which has a limited theatrical release starting February 24th and is available everywhere on Video On Demand on the 28th. It's a genre blend combining elements of revenge thrillers, dark comedy, road movies, cannibalism, and a dark synth score. Let's check out some of the trailer and hop into it. Listen up, Miles. And open your goddamn ears. Look around, what do you see? It's a wasteland. There are no more rules. People do whatever they want. It's complete chaos. You've trespassed. All right, this is Eric Navaretti, and today, at the point of a knife, I have Chris Von Hoffman. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Chris is the director of Drifter, also co-writer. Yeah, that's true. At the taping, at this moment, it hasn't come out, but by the time this episode comes out, it should be hitting theaters and video on demand. At about the same time, right? Yeah, it has like a brief LA theatrical run mm-hmm. um, starting uh, February 24th and then February 28th it goes to like video on demand, iTunes, all that stuff. And it'll be on DVD sometime in June as well. Okay. So it's doing like a pre sneak preview screening like the night before it begins the theatrical run on the 23rd uh, at UCLA. So that'll be so like a, like a free sneak preview screening at there. So okay. just, uh, you know, so it'll be cool. Are you going to be at any of these screenings? Is yeah. the cast and crew going to be there? Yeah, I mean, like uh, a lot of people are definitely going to the UCLA screening and I'm, I'm definitely going to be at least like a couple of the screenings uh, during the theatrical run. Um, it's going to be at the Arena Cinema on Hollywood Boulevard, small little art house theater. It's a cool theater. So, I mean, there will be a, hopefully a couple of Q&As there as well. And, uh, you know, I'll be there and I'm sure a lot of cast will come to a couple of those screenings. Uh, yeah, trying to go to as many of them as I can. Can we talk for a moment about where you got started? What set you on this path of becoming a filmmaker? What was like that initial inspiration? Movies have been like the only thing I've wanted to be involved in since I was like six years old. Like really as far back as I remember having a memory. Ever since I was six years old, I just haven't been. I've had like fat like side fads but I've never been really focused on anything else but movies and just like Hollywood and the industry and all that so I was always like wanting to be a filmmaker um, as a child and making a lot of like my parents you know it's a very cliche story and this a lot of people always say this but like you know my parents got me like a height camera when I was like nine so I just would be filming everything um, and I just uh, shot a lot of like unfinished uh, short films and got my act friends and to be in it and like I would see Scream and I would want to do like a rip off of that or something and just like uh, you know and then I would get bored with that and I would see Alien 3 and I would want to try to make a sci-fi creature movie or something and all these like unfinished I didn't understand editing at the time I just shot a lot of stuff you know and I but I also put myself in them a lot because I didn't really have a lot of friends who wanted to tolerate being actors so through that I started like once I got into high school I started to actually pursue acting pretty heavily and I really started to I was still like into filmmaking and still making films that I was putting myself in at the time but I was like really hardcore into pursuing acting so I was doing a lot of a lot of theater in uh, high school and started to get like lead roles in high school and started to do like musicals and plays and all that and did like duets and all that stuff and I got really hardcore into acting um, and I really wanted to like that's what I wanted to do at the time so when I graduated high school I just uh, you know I didn't go to college and I just went to like an acting conservatory for like seven months and it was uh, right in New York City and uh, it was a very political experience I mean I, I mean it was definitely 
really intense and I learned a lot and I met a lot of people um, but it, you know it was just a very political you know uh, school but then after that I just kind of just studied acting in Greenwich Village and just did a lot of plays a lot of like just hard like really did a lot of theater a lot of like black box plays and um, sort of cut my teeth on that and you know a lot of the plays were unsuccessful some plays were quasi successful but it just wasn't really satisfying to me enough and at the time when I was like 21 I, I was making a like this 40 minute mockumentary that looked terrible but you know it was shot on a horrible like camera from like 1999 and this was like 2009 when we were shooting this so so I mean like you know I was everyone else around me were like shooting on red epics and all that and I felt very like insecure that I'm using this horrible mini DV crappy camera that had a horrendous grain quality I was more focused on the acting and just the story of it and I mm. want to like not really focus so much on the technicalities of things um, just sort of strip all that stuff away so that was a big part of my life for like 2009 and making this film and and you know, I got a lot of my actor friends, and I was like starring in because sort of just did everything on the movie, and um, and you know, the movie, you know, it, it went nowhere. It was total guitar picks, and it looked terrible. But like, it was still like it kind of it enhanced my love of wanting to pursue filmmaking. And, mm -hmm. and then I made a few other shorts after that, and none of them were successful. But like, they all like really kind of made me a little bit more and more passionate about actually. I think I might drop acting altogether and start pursuing directing. And that was like 2011 that I made that decision, which was a really terrifying decision because yeah. I'd been I'd been heavily pursuing acting for like six years at that time and my, my family, my relatives, I mean all my friends, they all knew me as like an actor. Like they knew that I was into movies but they didn't like really take me seriously as a filmmaker or anything. Mm -hmm. So when I told everyone that I was going to completely drop acting and just pursue directing because I really want to focus on one or the other. I want to put all my attention on one thing. They were kind of like looking at me like I had three heads that I wanted to stop doing this altogether. And so I didn't go to like a film school or anything because I just thought it was too late in my life to do that at the time. I ended up contacting this girl that I had gone to high school with who like went to Princeton University and was doing much better than I was at the time. Um, and she was just like working on a lot of, doing a lot of like production coordinating, a lot of like big TV shows and movies and all that. And just uh, contacted her out of the blue and I was just like, do you know of any film sets or any movies that are being shot that I can get a job as a production assistant on just so I can understand how the technicalities of how movies are done so mm -hmm. I don't have to go to film school or anything. And and she ended up getting me a job as like like a production assistant intern. So I didn't really get paid much, but it was like a million dollar art, art film. And, um, and, and I really understood like how movies were made through like these six day weeks five weeks straight working on this movie in New York City and they put me in different crew positions like shadowing grips and, and ACs and all that and, mm -hmm. and, and it's amazing like just how quickly when you start getting the hands-on experience how quickly you understand how movies are made and just like the, the how long the days can be and, and just like how, how things are done I'd done some extra work on like legit film sets but I hadn't really like mm -hmm. seen it from that angle because extras are always just kind of waiting, whereas like production assistants are like seeing everything. So I mean, through that, I really just saw pretty quickly how movies were made, and then after that, I just got a lot of production assistant work throughout that year, and then I decided I want to just make a proper short film now. I feel like I understand enough to like, let me just make a proper short film. And, and it was still not like a great camera that we used. It was like an AF100 camera, which I thought it was amazing, but because mm. I was so used to shooting on horrible cameras, but everyone else were like, dude, like this camera is like, you got to shoot on the red. You got to shoot on like this camera. That I was like, right. you know, it's like, I'm not really worried about that at this juncture. I'm not, I don't, I don't deserve to shoot on those cameras yet. Or that's how I felt. And um, so I just made this short and screened it for, for like, 70 person screening that watched it in New York City at the Producers Club and and this little black box screening and um, and then a week later I just drove out to Los Angeles by myself and uh, had literally I just had no plan coming out here had that short film and started to network out here and try to 
that short film had played at like this college film festival and a lot of people had seen it and one of the people that had seen it was like my cinematographer who I still work with to this day and I met a lot of crew people a lot of like college kids that were like wanting to be this and wanting to be that and so that was like a big networking community of people that um, I met with and and then just started to make a lot of short films and just make them better and better and use better and better cameras and meet more and more people and show them to more and more people and this was like several you know a few years and um and and none of the short films were really successful like they were all getting rejected from everything all the time even if they were getting better technical wise they were all getting rejected but it was making me a better filmmaker and finally i just felt like i needed to make a feature film or else i was gonna like blow my brains out you know because i just had been trying to make a feature film for the last couple of years and i just felt like this was it was time, you know, I was, um, I was like 27, I was like, I, I need to make a feature film. If I wasn't going to, I might as well just be in a straitjacket or something, you know? That's where I am today. To circle back for just a quick second, you said when you were six, that was when you first had this urge to want to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Was there something specific that you saw, something that spoke to you? Was it a performance or did you actually have actor, director, writer? Did you have any of those titles in mind when you were six or were you just thinking, I want to do this somehow? I mean, I knew that I wanted to be like involved in movies. The first movie I ever saw in the theaters was Steve Barron's uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, mm, like yeah. the first movie, which I still think is a great yeah, film is. actually, you know? I remember I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, well, well maybe I'll just take my attitude and Why leave. don't you? I will. Good. Great. Go ahead. We don't need ya! Park grind. Well, crime. I don't. I didn't know what I was seeing. It was like just magic on screen. And then right. I remember like getting back home and being so jacked up with adrenaline. Like every time I would see one of those kind of movies, you know, that would just like they were they were just so cinematic. I would get home, mm -hmm. whether it was like Tomorrow Never Dies or just like you know just some like jacked up like adrenaline cinematic movie in the theaters. I would get home and I just wanted to like be in that movie or just be involved in making that movie. Writing like scripts in a, you know, this like journal, you know, when I was like 10, you know, longhand scripts and, and just James Bond ripoff scripts or whatever, you know, okay. just like, you know, one of just like these random things, you know, and um, I don't know the specific thing that, that, that I mean, it, it might have been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles like, yeah. as a kid and like that might have been like the entry point mm -hmm. to like wanting to be, I mean, I don't think it was, but I, that's the only thing I can remember at this point being that early in the stage. I mean, but, yeah. it is kind of a remarkable movie because yeah, it's really if, well made. if you look at it, it's especially if if you're like me too, I, I remember seeing it in theaters yeah. and it was like bringing, um, you know, that franchise to life. Oh, and yeah. It, it was just very, very striking to think that like, oh, like cartoons can be real too. Yeah, totally, yeah. And that's like a big concept, I think, for oh, a yeah. kid to, to see on a big screen. So I could see how that would be like hugely influential. Absolutely, yeah. And and like, you know, as I started to get like to like nine years old or so, I really started to get like hardcore into, that's why I really started to like rent movies and like and go to Blockbuster like every weekend. And like, I really started to get hardcore into like watching horror movies um, and like that's, there was something about their posters, you know, you know, mm, like the, yeah, the posters okay. really stood out to me, you know, and I would just, sometimes I would just look at the back of the bo box art for like 20 minutes before I even made a decision, you know, and I was just so mesmerized by their designs and rarely, you know, if you watch most of those movies today, rare, very few of them deliver on the, on the design, mm -hmm. but you know, there was a small few that totally did. So, I mean, I would just go like rent slasher movies and horror movies, these like really like, you know, whacked out horror movies and just like, you know, all the slasher, fr I loved like slasher franchise. Franchises and mm -hmm. I love the Friday Thirteenth franchise. Like I was like obsessed with that franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street and Child's Play. And, like I was like obsessed with.
of those franchises and uh, just saw all the sequels and all that. And I actually preferred a lot of the sequels over the first one. Um, oh yeah, yeah, because I just because they just tried things. They tried. They kind of like risked being ridiculous, and I mm -hmm. kind of like appreciate. It was like refreshing, like Child's Play two having the set piece of the toy factory it was just so insane, you know. But it was <laughs> yeah, perfect, you know. It was very cinematic, and um, and then you know my parents started to get a little uh, turned off that I was so obsessed with horror movies. So like my dad like turned me on to James Bond movies, and then like okay. I became hardcore into like action movies, and then and then as I got older, I started to you know you know then I, I just went through phases, you know. I would like slapstick comedies for a while, and I loved all the Jerry Sucker and you know Jim Abraham's like top secret and airplane and naked gun and then I would be into like sleepaway camp and Friday 13th and I would be into like James Bond and you know executive decision with Steven Seagal but then as I got older in like my early 20s I started to watch like you know I'm starting to get more interested in like some like you know European art films and, and more like maybe more cerebral uh, films yeah. and, and started to get like you know expand on that and uh, but my my love of like grungy, sleazy, mean spirited horror movies has never has never gone away, and it will never go away. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, that was like my first love yeah. of, of just like these like whacked out horror movies. I think if you're a content creator, you definitely need to consume lots of things, yeah. lots of different styles too. I mean, to just constrict yourself to one genre would kind of lead you nowhere. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, so that, that take totally full advantage sense. of it. Yeah. yeah. At what point did you decide you wanted to get into acting? What was it that set you on that path? I was with my dad in New York City. Like we sometimes we would just like go there for for a day, take the train out there. And I, I remember I was like a freshman in high school, and I was like I guess fifteen or something. And they were starting to have auditions for their musical Hello Dolly. Talking to my dad, like I don't know, I was thinking of auditioning for this thing. I mean, I I, I never like really sung. I didn't really consider myself a singer. Hmm. And I loved like comedic performing and always being like the funny person all the time and like being really over the top. He just like talked me into it, and I just auditioned for this thing, and I ended up getting it. But I, you know, I got like a shoemaker like featured extra role, you know, but like... Oh, second shoemaker. That's yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, so it was like... I mean, the character had like sort of a, a gag in the in the play, so people okay. like remembered that character somewhat, you know, and, and, and it helped that I was extremely small, so I was even more memorable, I guess, because I was like smaller than I am now. Um, <laughs> but like, um, they would do a play in the fall and a musical in the spring, and I auditioned for both those productions. Actually, actually, no, I didn't audition for the play the, the next year when I was a sophomore, because I was like, I decided to play football, which was a horrible, horrible mistake mm. in my life, and I did not audition for it. And then in the spring, I auditioned for the musical, and I got for anything goes, and I got rejected. Oh, who'd you play? Uh, no, no, I, I, I got I didn't make it, oh, <laughs> which okay. was like absurd. I was like, it's a high school musical, and I didn't get accepted. But like, and then I just decided, okay, well, I'm gonna take some acting classes instead while they're doing their musical, and I'm gonna get, you know, take this more seriously. And then my senior year, I was like, I got like the lead roles, like the grandpa, and like you can't take it with you, and that was like, you know, my claim to fame and like high school acting, mm -hmm. you know, and like everybody like you know knew me as like the actor in high school. Once I went to like this drama conservatory, I was pretty like hardcore into it, but I got burnt out at a certain, at a certain point because it's just, I'm just not doing the stuff that I want to be doing. Like I know what kind of actor I want to be and I know what kind of roles I want to play and that's just not really coming, which probably, you know, uh, complimented my filmmaking that I want to start making my own stuff, like creating my own art is, is, is messed up and terrible as they looked. I was still like making my own characters, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I sort of wanted to be like, like a Jack Black type of that actor, like a Ben Stiller, kind of like I want to be like one of these like over the top comedian actors. Yeah, but at a certain point, I just I, I just loved movies too much just to like be in them. I just wanted more control. I wanted them to like be mine. Like I wanted to like when I would do plays, I would give suggestions to the director stuff to put on the stage, and you know he would just be like, yeah yeah I'll think about it. You know just totally like <laughs> stop that actor, stop yeah yeah to do you know. So yeah, but it was definitely like a huge part of my life, and I think it really helped my filmmaking because now I have a really like true understanding of what actors go through. Right. Or else I feel like I do, and 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 also I think starting out in theater. 
because I was also an usher at a Broadway theater for like three years, and so I saw like 30 free Broadway plays and musicals over three years, and so I really understood like theater acting, and because like that's like the purest of the pure of acting, and because mm -hmm. movie, movies are so technical and chopped up, and film acting is probably one of the hardest jobs on the planet. I don't know how they do it, just waiting around because they're so technical. And, it's also very segmented. Yeah, it's totally. very rarely shot in order, so yeah, you exactly, have to remember yeah. I am oh scared, God. and I'm scared because of this reason, yeah. and then maybe the next shot is you know, yeah. days later in, in the story. Yeah, I don't think people like realize like when they watch movies how complicated performing in a like a lead role in a feature film must be. Like and and especially like a heavily dramatic performance. You know, I just it's you know it's ba it baffles me. You know. Do you feel like your background then in acting does it really inform your directing? Do you feel like you communicate? and understand your actor's needs. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, like, especially when I was starting out making short films, I just kind of trusted my cinematographer, and I, I knew nothing about it. It was all foreign to me, you know? And so, I, but like, the only thing that was not foreign to me was speaking actor talk and working with them and, and, and um, understanding, like, objectives and scenes and identifying, you know, identifying the, what they want out of that scene and, and really focusing on character and detail um, with, you know, talking about backstory, really, like, fleshing them out and rehearsing and all that. At at this point, I feel like I have made enough projects that, like, uh, you know, I more or less understand the nuts and bolts of filmmaking. But the acting will always be the number one thing that I'm focused on because uh, I think that should be the number one thing mm -hmm. always. And, and I'm always shocked when I hear about people's other number ones. You know, whether it's like the cinematography or the editing of it or the you know whatever. But like, you know, acting should always be number one. You mentioned already you did a lot of stage work. Did you mm -hmm. ever do any shorts or in any features? Not really. I mean, I was like. Yeah, not real. I mean, I just did so much theater. I mean, I really, I didn't really do, I mean, yeah, I mean, I acted in some, like, like, I was, like, a featured extra in The Switch, the Jennifer Aniston movie, only because they were filming at my uh, theater I worked at, you okay. know? I really didn't really have any success as an actor, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be very blunt about that. Uh, can you maybe go into what your shorts were about? Were they genre? Were they horror? Well, I started out making, like, uh, like dark comedies, mm -hmm. like sort of like raw, like sort of like Jody Hill kind of comedies, like Eastbound and Down kind of humor, because I love that kind of humor where it just it's just so over the top, but it's grounded at the same time. So I kind of started out making like very grounded, like just dark comedies. Like I tried to do like a sketch show called Sun Babies, which was like inspired by Teletubbies, you know, just like a really weird name for it, and tried to do like some sketches, a YouTube channel, which was not successful, but we made a bunch of them, and um, so they were like really like kind of twisted humor. And then um, once I actually started to seriously pursue filmmaking then I start to like make uh you know, uh, genre movies, and like most of them have dealt in crime, and and actually just recently, I mean, Drifter was like really the first thing that I got to like exercise like some horror filmmaking because the stuff before that were all very uh, crime related, like crime mm -hmm. dramas. Like the last couple were definitely kind of thriller feel, and then a couple before that were like kind of like more crime dramas. To I actually went through some of your shorts oh, uh, nice. just earlier, and the one that really stood out to me was White Trash. Yeah, which is. Yes, crime drama. Yeah. Like, I don't want to blow the ending because I think the whole film hinges on, like, those final moments. But yeah. it's definitely a very efficient, very well done 10 minute short. Yeah, thank you. And it's really, like, just a character study of, yeah. like, an abusive husband and then a wife who, you know, is trying to get rid of him, basically. Yeah. And I, I could see how there is an element of the sort of violence that you end up putting into Drifter. I, I, mm. I could see how there is, like, a through line between those works. Yeah. And, like, some of the, the clips that I saw from your other your other stuff, but it seemed like Drifter was your first chance to inject like a little bit of horror into it. Yeah, I mean, I think I love horror so much that I didn't want to make 
too many films horror based. I really because I love crime so much as well. It just really came down to like just what kind of story I wanted to tell at the time, and you know, sort of twisted take on domestic abuse and mm -hmm. sort of flip it on its head a little bit. I feel like each film got you know I tried to like crank up the violence with each movie. Uh, it was strictly like a budget issue. Like you know, I felt mm -hmm. like I just wanted to have a little bit more fun with on-screen violence and as much as I could, as much as the budget would allow. But I, I'm not really so much interested in like too much on-screen violence as, as I am like a violent tone. Like I really like violent, cynical tones to movies and make them fun. Like I don't want to make depressing movies, but like in the way that sort of like John Carpenter did, I love that man as a person as an, and as a filmmaker. Just his movies were like genre films, but they had a very cynical, pessimistic tone to them. Mm -hmm. But they were like inside of a fun world. They were really enjoyable. They weren't like Gaspar Noe films where like they're really cynical, but they're also really depressing at the same time. Like I, I don't want to make that, you know, I love Gaspar Noe, but his films are very depressing, you know? Yeah, so there were like a couple feature films that I was trying to make before Drifter uh, came about. There was one in 2013 that I literally spent like almost a year trying to get money for, and we mm -hmm. that was that got the furthest along before Drifter because I had shot like a six-minute sizzle reel for it and got you know a lot of people involved on that project and had a whole you know pitch packet and sort of a quasi business plan and storyboards and all, all poster art and all these things. I mean, I tried pretty hard to get anybody to come on board, and a couple people would come on, then they would leave, you know, they just didn't feel like it was going to make any money because it was, it was like, you know, sort of a hybrid, you know, just about like this serial killer and this teenager cross country, cross country, like road trip movie. But yeah, that just uh, didn't really have much which, success. Which one was that? I think I did, I saw the sizzle uh, wheel. For, uh, blood, yeah. It was like called Bloodshot Animals. Okay. Yeah, it was like, um, it was just a hard, people just didn't get the movie, like mm. the script that they just, I mean, they all liked the sizzle they seemed, but you know, that was just like two, three minute scenes. The, like when they were when they read the script and like heard me explaining what the movie was they just didn't some people got it some people really respond to the script but a lot of people like some like you know people that could get potentially get money just didn't really understand what this movie was because it was such a I don't know it was such a specific type of movie and, and then I made White Trash after that just out of frustration and mm. then I made another short after that out of more frustration and then I decided to make Drifter what do you think is it about Drifter that set it apart from the other movie why, why do you think people responded to this one so well it probably has like a little bit more of a straightforward concept, whereas like the Bloodshot Animals didn't really have any story whatsoever, whereas like this one has some story. I think it was just a little bit more simplified. It was a much more less expensive film to make because like okay. Bloodshot Animals had like 25 locations and a lot of those locations were interiors, which were really hard to get money. Whereas like Drifter has like a, a lot of locations, but a lot of it's like outside and like, you know, didn't need permits for every location. And it's like a lot of it's like deep in the desert and all that. And I still like pulled a lot of stuff, a lot of themes from Bloodshot Animals and put it into this. And it was a lot easier to understand what Drifter was instead of that one. Can you tell us about how you pitched Drifter, like the pitch that you made that actually kind of set it off to where it was going to get made, whether that was an investor or whatever. How did you pitch the movie? It was still a pretty like, you know, sloppy, unconventional way of pitching it. I went out to the town that we ended up filming the movie in Bombay Beach and I made like this zero dollar promo teaser for the movie, which is like a two minute thing, total, no dialogue or anything, just a purely visual promo teaser that we shot on like a DSLR and that got some people on board um, just seeing that. We tried like an Indiegogo campaign, which was 
Again, not successful at all. We didn't get any money from that. But like, even when we didn't have like any guaranteed money uh, for the movie, I just kept on being as like positive as I could uh, and confident that we were going to get it somehow. And just through that, I just kept on pushing everything about and just constantly, you know, getting crew, getting actors, getting, you know, just setting a date, setting all these things, literally not having really any money with the exception of like the few bucks that we got on Indiegogo. But like when more and more people started to see that, it seems like they're making this movie, so maybe I, I, sh I should want to be involved in this. And, and like I say that, act like all of a sudden tons of people threw money at it. That did not happen at all. It was still like a lot of personal sacrifice uh, for the movie, you know, because I was just like desperate to make this film by a certain time. So I just had to like sacrifice certain things. But you know, we did have like a friend of mine come on board as like a side investor and he really helped us out immensely. But I didn't really have much of a producer on this movie. There was like no production company really. We had no LLC. It wasn't done like these proper ways that a lot of these like low budget films are very methodical about how they approach things. I'm just such an unbelievably impatient person. I try to do all that stuff. Like I put together like a, a, a business plan for the movie and, and, and had a friend help me with that. I tried to approach it as like methodically and business savvy as I could, but when you don't have like a producer or a line producer and you have like no money to spend on any of it, all I could control was just like the quality of the picture and just like moving it forward as well as I could and just assembling more and more people to come on board and just smashing my head against a wall multiple times to a certain point that, you know, finally it was just whatever it took to get made. So it was kind of like a, I guess, an unconventional way, but it's just, I'm such an impatient person when it comes to that stuff and I'm just not, my brain doesn't work like that with like business plans and all that. And I just, but when I just didn't have any producer, I just had no choice but to just make it by any means necessary, you know? Wow. I mean, I, I can't say like I enjoyed the year of 2015, which was pretty much all that year and then some few months rolling over into 2016. But like the whole year of 2015 was like a very like traumatizing experience mm -hmm. making this movie because it was just like, perhaps I like bit off a little bit more than I could chew with the movie. And you know, there was like no money to be spending on this movie. It was, you know, extraordinarily micro budget. I mean, I had like a crew, like I had like a first AD who was terrific. And I had a production manager who was a friend of mine who was helping out. And I had my DP that was very like supportive and all that, but nobody knew like if this movie was gonna be anything. I I just just had a lot of dark because I'm I'm a very like sort of <laughs> pessimistic person to begin with. Hmm. So like when I'm making a movie, I'm just even more. I mean, I keep it to myself. I, I don't like you know put that stuff out in the air. But like I'm just internally, I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I, I just was really because we didn't we didn't even have a sales agent when we started to pr prep the movie. So I was like really freaking out. Like, is this movie? gonna do anything? Is this movie gonna get distributed? Is it, is it gonna re get, get rejected from all the film festivals like all my other shorts have had? But I, I didn't really care, you know, because I just had to make movies. I wasn't making movies I just served no purpose on life, I felt, you know, and I just had to had to make my feature film and thankfully they were able to get a sales agent, you know, right before we started filming and he was very committed to the project and then we were able to get worldwide distribution like a, just a couple months after the film was finished so like, but while we were making the movie was I was, in the back of my head, I was kind of like really free out about is this movie gonna be anything like is it gonna go anywhere because I hadn't had much experience with all my any of my other films going anywhere so I can't say that I enjoyed the experience I act like very dramatic about it but at the time it felt like a very psychologically damaging yeah. experience you know and, and just financially psychologically mentally physically because it's just like we just we didn't have a wardrobe person we didn't have a location manager we didn't have a prop person set decorator I mean we uh, no producer no companies but you know I feel like when you're making your first movie I feel like you should put yourself through like a very hellish experience making it and, you know, if it was going to be like too overly ambitious and, and I failed doing it, well, at least I tried to do that. And like, you know, you know, certainly the film is not perfect and it's rough around the edges, but it's a feature film, you know. I felt good. I made it. 
There's been like a recurring comment that I think that we've had with a lot of the guests this season where they get told no a lot or, yeah. or they don't have that opportunity land in front of them so they make it for themselves. But I mean, yeah. this is definitely a case of jumping in the deep end, I think. Yeah. Because it sounds like you basically didn't have that entire crew support that you needed, so you, you took it on yourself. Yeah. To a lot of those loose ends. You know, I definitely had, like, support from my first AD, my production manager, and my mm -hmm. uh, DP were definitely very supportive. But, you know, they were also doing their own things as well. I, I just didn't have, like, that great producer that you see on so many other low-budget movies, you know, mm -hmm. like when they have their successful Indiegogo and they have their, oh, they got their great, but I, you know, I, I, I've been trying to find one of those people for, like, years, you know, mm -hmm. even when I was living in New York City, trying to find, like, just that producer who was able to help me out, exposing the thing and, 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 and organizing things, and I was just, like, scratching my head at certain points, like, why I don't have that. I, I think it made me um, perhaps a, a better filmmaker to independently produce these myself and get as dirty as possible, like, not just on one movie, but, like, on, on every single one. You know, it also makes me learn so many things and have a utmost respect for mm. producing. And I, I enjoy producing, sort of, but I just don't like doing it by myself, you know? Right. You know, I mean, I, I act like it was, like, you know, such a horror... I mean, it, it wasn't a horror, but it was just, like... It sounds like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think it, you're overstating yeah, I mean, that. Was just, it was just, like, you know, it, it was just... There times where we're just like this is this is too much like mm -hmm. this is just like destroying me financially is just destroying my i just there were so many i mean and it, it didn't stop when the movie was finished filming it was like bled over into that into the fall where i was just like playing catch up financially and it was just really yeah, i try to like burn a lot of those things out of my mind because there were just so many breakdowns but like you know normally i wouldn't i wouldn't have like breakdowns but like that was like sort of an exception where i was like it was just too many things that i was doing mm -hmm. that uh I, I just couldn't help it and and but like that's it also helped me prepare the movie as methodically as possible in pre-production because i knew that we had to be restricted to 12 hour days and also shoot it on like a 13 day schedule so we um because if i knew if we because i couldn't afford to go like a 14th day i couldn't afford right. to go over 12 hours even though we did a couple times but i knew that it had to be prepped accordingly that we can't be sitting around thinking about what we're going to shoot and that really disciplined me for future films now i have a pretty good system in my brain of how to visually break down a movie so it's like we know, i know exactly how mm -hmm. to shoot it you know can i ask what did you do just to like kind of take care of yourself emotionally and, and personally because you had a lot to deal with and you don't want to stress out the cast while you're on the shoot and you don't yeah. want to stress out everyone else. How did you decompress so that when you get to the set, you're your best self so that everyone else can do their best jobs? It sounds so cheesy, but I think acting actually helps. Because nobody is like upbeat every day when they're filming a movie. That's just not going to happen, you know, because movies I don't think are really fun to make. You know, I mean, you know, I, mean, I just, I really, I, I really don't find them very fun, honestly. Just put on an act, you know, because like, you just, you have to, you know, and sometimes you are like organically, you know, happy and, you know, excited for the day. But like other, other days, you know, you, you're, you're not. And, but like, but no matter what, you know, in their, in the actor's eyes and the crew's eyes, you have to, you have to force yourself to be on all the time. You know, it's like a stand up comedian. If they're not feeling it, but they're going on stage in front of a thousand people, they still got to, you know, they still got to perform and uh, whether they want to or not and whether, you know, whatever their mind is feeling. But so it's really just like putting on an act sometimes and, and for, you got to you got to have that discipline to force yourself to be, you know, boost morale. You mentioned the sales agent, that that yeah. was a key moment. Can you just tell us about the moment where you realized, hey, this could actually happen, that we could actually finish this film, whether, whether that was the sales agent or whether that was during the production or post? 
you know, when the sales agent came on board, that definitely boosted confidence in the project. I'm like, okay, well now, now there's an end game. Now it's like, okay, now we do have a chance to get distribution because we have this guy. If we didn't have a sales agent, I didn't want to be just relying on film festivals. Like, cause it was more important for me because I had such a horrible experience with rejections from film festivals and I didn't feel like film festivals just understood like what I was trying to do with movies. So with this movie, I was like, I just want this film to get distributed. You know, I want this to be a calling card. So, I mean, um, so when the sales agent came on board, that was definitely like a confidence booster. Thankfully, I, I had a friend of mine who, who was the main side investor who's you know, a great friend of mine to, the, to this day, he's just an incredible human being that would always really, he was always there for us when we would be in like in serious need financially that uh, I just couldn't afford something and he would really save the day and he was just, a, you know, an incredible person for doing that. that. I mean, there was a couple times where it's like, I really didn't think that we were gonna be, gonna be able to finish this movie. Yeah, mainly like before we shot like the town stuff, uh, there's like back in August of 2015 and I just didn't, didn't feel like it was gonna work. Cause like, aside from my friend, like no one else was really, you know, helping to contribute a little bit. It, even when they were with the film for so long, they still wouldn't, but like, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not their movie, so it's not their problem, I guess. But there were some horrible moments where I'm just like, I, I wish there was uh, more support than there was at the time. But you know, I mean, like it's, it, it, I just had to see it all the way through, where even if it, you know, destroyed me, which it did at the time, you know, I mean, I was just like playing catch up financially, but, for so long. I just don't want to do anything else. So it's like I had to see it all the way through. I didn't want to be one of these movies that like, I mean, I love David Lynch, but like his Eraserhead took like six years to make. And like, I didn't want this movie to be that. I didn't want it to be like a shot on the weekends kind of movie. I wanted to be approached as professional as possible and bam it out um, in a short amount of time and, and, and cut it in a short amount. Of time. I just really wanted it to be straightforward, nuts and bolts, efficient process. And just didn't want to be looked at as a failure if the film was like shut down or something. So I just saw it all the way through that despite, you know, the sacrifices that were made and yeah. I've seen the film, so yeah. I think it's a success. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's got just tremendous energy. It's got great style. Mm. So I, I want you to understand as somebody who's coming into this like super cold yeah. and just saw it, you know, I, I think you did an amazing job. I appreciate so, it. So thank you, sir. First off, there's that. Tied into that, I would like to know a little bit more about what were some of your inspirations behind this? Because mm -hmm. we already touched base on your previous works and your shorts and how, you know, the, the crime drama element of it seems like something that you've done iterations of in your previous work, yeah. and that's here in Drifter. Mm -hmm. You've thrown in some horror, too. Yeah. The directing, I think the editing is incredible. Oh, yeah. um, the way the music plays off of different mm -hmm. scenes, too. It, it feels like you're pulling from a lot of different genres, a, yeah. lot, a lot of different sources. Totally. So I, I guess I want to know a little bit more about what were some of your inspirations behind this? And then what, what was also the reasoning or the, you know, the desire to throw all of those sources together and then to make it into this film? You know, I, I knew I wanted my first movie to be like as personal as possible. And I just wanted to basically like treat it like more of like a deconstruction of genre movies. You know, some people have called it like a ripoff and that's uh, of other things and that's fine. I mean, it kind of is, you know, but like I just w sort of wanted to take basically my favorite scenes and like all these things I've always wanted to do of like stuff that I've loved since birth, so it was very personal to me, and just throw it all together and mash it up in like a blender and approach it from a different angle. Um, I almost looked at it like a film school assignment, as if like people, if, if like a professor gave me like assignments or things from like other movies and like, and, but me approach it from a different angle. Now that's not the case with like every scene in the movie, but like there are certain scenes that are clearly inspired by other things. And so I just wanted to approach it from that personal level and get all that stuff out of my system so that I, could just start off fresh with the next movie and make mm. something a little bit more 
much more story driven, much more character driven. Um, so I just want to, it's almost like purging myself. Yeah, I mean, like as far as like inspirations, I mean, they're pretty obvious throughout. I mean, like Mad Max is definitely, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the uh, Hills of Eyes, obviously, from Dusk mm. Dawn, obviously. You know, Devil's Rejects. You no, know, this movie called Eaten Alive that Toby Hooper directed from 1977, just because of its like dream, kind of surreal aspect to it. Uh, the Rover, the film that came out a couple years ago, and uh, we were just talking about that earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like one of those things. Like I, I think it was a great first half of a movie, and mm. the second half kind of like slowed down too much for me. But the, the the film that was like the major influence. You know, every time I think of a movie, I think of like one film that like kind of glues everything together. That's like an ongoing inspiration, and that was um, the Proposition, mm. uh, the John Hill okay, directed. Yeah. And I just think that film was like such a bold, visceral, jarring, vicious nihilistic western that had yeah. like horror elements to it because it's more like Wolf Creek than it is like Tombstone you know mm-hmm. and I still think that's like John Hillcoat's best movie and I'm still waiting for him to like surpass that but I feel like it's just such a perfect film I don't know if he will especially the way the film looked how it had like sort of like a vibrant feel but it was so gritty and raw it had like this vicious gritty surrealism to it and it had this genre story but it wasn't it was much more atmosphere driven it was much more like character driven so that was like the film that was like the ongoing reference and then a lot of like you know little tiny films snowballed off of that i knew for my first film i just watched just pile everything that i love about movies into this one movie because it was just like everything boiling up inside of me since i was a child and i just felt like well it's my first movie let me just kind of make the most nostalgic movie I could possibly make. I had to be focusing my attention on so many things, so it's like, let me let me just focus on just making a really aesthetic-driven movie mm-hmm. uh, for my first film, and then so I can just get, like, wall-to-wall music, just all, all this style stuff, and just get that out of my system, and then the next movie, just be a little more, you know, be a little more focused with story and character development and all that, and not, you know, so overly stylized, right. you know? Like, my favorite directors, I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's funny because like, I, I say this and people always like laugh at me because like he's it's just such a random choice. But like probably my favorite director who's one of the most inspirational has me is like Abel Ferraro. And people like laugh at me because he's sort of he hasn't really made a great film since like 1996. But he has like this uh, cynical like no nonsense kind of approach to his filmmaking. And I just loved how he did like big movies like the Body Snatchers reboot that he did, and then he does like you know small gritty films like the Bad Lieutenant film with uh, Harvey Keitel and. You know, he's always been like a huge inspiration on me, and like him and like Paul Verhoeven, William Friedkin, and you know Scorsese and John Frankenheimer and Brian De Palma. Like those guys are, as far as like the older directors, they're probably the right. most like inspirational on me. Am I crazy? I got a vibe from some of the dialogue, at least the way the characters would deliver lines to each other. Mm-hmm. And in particular, there's this uh, scene earlier in the movie where they've parked their car. And then a group of bandits. Yeah. There's like a long take to go up there. I got like a Coen Brothers feel yeah. in some of them. And especially in that particular sequence. I don't know if you remember Miller's Crossing. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. But there's... that extremely long take where uh, where the bad guy walks up uh, to the main character in the middle of a factory. Oh, my and God. It's, I gotta, I it's almost framed, I, I feel like, Is very it similar really? to, to I, yours. That's so funny. I wasn't even thinking of that. I got to go back yeah. and look at it. And then, you know, there's this, like, outlandish dialogue where people are talking about, you know, like, we're going to rough you up, basically. Yeah, yeah, but totally, they, yeah. They deliver it in, like, kind of a, a deadpan, you know, very matter-of-fact way. Yeah. And, like, I got that vibe while watching that's so funny, yeah. sometimes. They're probably the greatest writer-directors, the most consistent, prolific writer-directors of mm-hmm. cinematic history, I feel like, because they're just so... 
consistent and prolific, but and they write and direct everything and their films are so vivid and they're so uh, cinematic. You know, you could say the same thing about Woody Allen, but his films are sort of like all, they're great films, but they're all kind of like the same little movies. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the Coen brothers are constantly shifting and changing and they're always like a subconscious influence. And like, I just think No Country for Old Men is just like one of the greatest films ever made in this country. I love how they have like simple plots, but they have like a complex execution. Yeah. So, you know, like No Country for Old Men, it's like, well, it's about a guy that, steals two million dollars in the Rancho Grande and getting stalked by this hitman. Simple plot, but you watch the movie, it's like, it feels like so much more than that, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like so much bigger. And that's like sort of like, I guess what I want to do, like take really, really simple plots, this is really simple stories, and just so it gives me room to approach them from a much, to make, make the execution complex. Don't make the stories complex, but make the execution complex, because uh, that's what I feel like I have to offer, because I love simple stories in movies. You know, like I hate it like Inception. Like I hate that. Like it's just not my kind of movie. Like it's just too much. Can you talk a little bit about the writing process behind Drifter? I know the one of the stars co-wrote it with you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. How, how did that work? How did that break down then between the two of you? We had worked on a short film prior, so I kind of got a feel for how to work with him as a co-writer because he had acted in that one as well. I was like editing that short film while he was starting to write this movie. Mm -hmm. Like starting to write his like skeletal draft and I just had no time to start like diving into writing this yet. So he had wrote like sort of like a 40 page skeletal draft this is like January of 2015. Then I was like, okay, now I'm ready to go into this feature. And then I sort of, there was a time where him and I were working side by side and having script meetings about it. But then I just sort of, he sort of wanted to be um, sort of like a much more of a dramatic character piece like The Rover because he loves that film. And I love that film as well. But like, I want to make like a whacked out grindhouse movie. I want to make like Hills of Eyes. Like I want to make like this crazy midnight movie. And I feel like it sort of fell in between, which was fine because I feel like my first movie, it's nice to like put all that stuff in one movie. But you know, there was definitely times where like our brains were just completely different. So it was an interesting thing to adapt to because I've been writing my own stuff for a while. But I knew that the script was going to be like a skeleton blueprint anyway for this for this movie for this because mm. I just wanted to make a movie. Once we got it to a certain place, I was like, okay, I'll just take it from here and I'll just like you know almost like rewrite it visually. It was like sixty two pages too, you know. Okay. And like the movie's like eighty four without credits. I think interesting was the best word to describe the experience. Working, I mean, it was an interesting experience. You know, not everything clicked, but I don't really enjoy writing. I'm a very like antsy, impatient person, mm. and just like sitting and just having a page with words. So it's like if you want to come on board to help me write it, you know, and also acting and I'm like you know okay you know like that's that's fine you know like uh, whatever I can do to get this movie made uh, qu as quickly as possible so yeah, I have no problem like working with a co-writer but I, I really want to be I, I don't know I really want to like write my own draft first and then and then have someone kind of like maybe doctor it or something and then pave over it again that's what I do with this you know I just had that experience doing something like that which was a great experience so I m much prefer to go down that kind of route when writing a screenplay it was just about getting the movie made for me it was just like whatever it takes you know if I gotta you know if I gotta work together and just like damn this thing and I just want to get this movie made. You mentioned you just done something? While I was like finishing post uh, on Drifter, uh, the whole year of 2016 was just writing and rewriting like draft after draft of this uh, screenplay that I was like developing with this company and then now it's at a different company. But we finally, you know, are moving forward with it and it's been like a very very complicated, very tedious process because it seems like the script was going from one company to another to another to another and then it finally got to a place that is now that like we're finally like talking about 
casting and, and, and moving and we have a start date and moving forward and all that but it definitely challenged me as a writer I wrote the script and then there was like thousands of notes and I never really went through that experience hmm. of like higher ups giving me like if I tallied it up it would probably be like over a thousand notes but it was just like writing a draft and then doing literally a complete page one rewrite for the next draft and then doing another page one another page one this is being done by someone who doesn't who writing is not just how my brain works so it's right. like so it was like really trying to force myself to do this but i was just so committed to this project and it was like the closest thing in the pipeline that i just had to keep committing to it finally got to a point you know where it is it was just a really like tedious complicated very exhausting process writing writing the script just trying to crack it every month there were just like new additional notes from new people but i realized that at a certain point let me just write the script that i want to see and once I did that, then like it was able to get to the next level. You know, it still it still got thousands of notes after that. You know, mm. and a couple more rewrites. Well, let me let me just write the film that I want to see, and because they're gonna forget about a lot of their notes anyway. Because like note twelve doesn't connect to like note three or something. You know, so they just want to see a good story. They just want to read a good story, read a good script. So finally, it's at a you know pretty good place, and hopefully, hopefully, will be a good movie. I've noticed with writing, you know, taking into consideration every single note that you're given will cause the work to stop seeming like your own yeah and that there there is a level of like synthesis that you have to go through where you realize maybe there's 10 notes kind of talking about the same thing but you, you don't necessarily need to literally take all of them yeah you know, at face value, but they're all pointing in a certain direction fix mm -hmm. the problem that they're pointing at yeah, exactly and yeah. then the rest of them resolve yeah so now you're with another company. You have the support that you didn't have necessarily when you were making Drifter. Yeah, yeah. What's what's yep. that difference like? How are you enjoying that? I mean, it's been very surreal. It's been very different. A massive shift has happened in the last few months. Prepping this movie and and, and working with you know people that I admire and people like these like you know I guess higher up uh, industry people that are have, have so far have been great. You know they've been terrific people and like they've been extremely supportive and just wanting to move things forward and not having to like worry about producing this movie and, and just focusing on writing and directing it. It's been nice because I haven't really had that experience of just writing and directing a movie. You know, mm. I've had to like DIY almost everything. At the time it was kind of like tricky to adapt to because I'm just so used to like just doing everything myself. But you know, now it's like in a different situation where it's like, okay, well there's other people, so it's a different kind of process. But I feel like I'm getting the hang of it at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean like so far it's been great, you know. Do you ever miss that frantic energy of like when you were making Drifter, like, fuck, am I going to be able to get no. all of these shots into it? You don't miss that at all? That's always going to be there, like yeah. that frantic energy of like time and, and money. I mean, that's always going to be there, regardless mm -hmm. of who you're working with. But I definitely don't miss like the multitasking mm. thing, stuff that I just couldn't, I hated. I haven't talked to the location manager while trying to film a scene who's like yelling in my ear about like mm -hmm. his money or whatever. It's like that stuff I don't miss at all. I've never had an experience of just writing and directing a movie. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's been interesting and it's it's been weird to to adapt to, but so far it's been nice. It's been cool. Can you tell us a little bit about what the next project, you don't need to tell us what it is, but I mean like what genre are you playing in? What, what sort of story are you trying to tell? It's another thriller. It's probably closer to a horror thriller than Drifter might have been. I mean, I think like the film that I keep on bringing up is like, I don't know if you ever saw The Loved Ones. 
the Australian film. What's like about like a girl kidnaps this guy who rejects her at prom and she's sort of like towards, I mean like that's sort of like the tone of that movie where it has like a very youth angle to it and like is this film centers around teenage kids and sort of like Larry Clark, Brady Ellis kind of feel like they enter this world of, you know, upscale yuppies and, uh, okay. and horrific circumstances ensue. Well, that sounds fun. I'm definitely ready to make it. I think it's a much stronger script only because like so much work has been done on it. But mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a much more of an original story. And yeah, so I'm you know, very excited to make it. Is there a piece of advice you wish someone would have given you when you were first starting out? You know, I was, I was, like, I was actually looking at that question like earlier today. I was trying to think like what, what's like a really good answer because I feel like there, there, there definitely is. Uh, I'm just trying to think like what's the best way to articulate that. I mean, probably be patient. You know, I think I got so antsy that I would like kind of like jump the gun a lot of the times and just kind of like, I just wanted to like, you know, go, 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 go. And sometimes you just need to step back and kind of look at the big picture. You know, maybe I should have like spent a little bit more time putting together a much better business plan or something or a better like business approach to it because I just want to make movies, you know, and and maybe the patience, you know, because I'm not a patient person, but I've been like forced to be patient over the years. But, you know, I feel like there's a better answer for for the piece of advice. some reason, I, I think I'm like overthinking it, man. Uh, yeah. What would you say to listeners then who are trying to break into the field right now? What sort of encouragement do you think maybe you can give them? Yeah, I have like this like philosophy where there are a lot of a lot of people come out to obviously Los Angeles is like the capital of filmmaking, and like you know, so a lot of people come out here wanting to be writers or wanting to be producers or directors or actors, but they don't really, I feel like they spend 5% focusing on that and 95% focusing on soaking up LA and having a fun time. And, and LA is like a trap. Like you come out here and LA wants you to fall into this Venus fly trap. LA doesn't want anybody to succeed really. And like LA is like wants all these people to come in and fall into this trap. And so that's why, you know, there are so many people that don't really like, you know, get too far because it's, they're just not, they're just not focused. And I feel like you have to have like, like this insane amount of focus when you come out here because it's there's so many things in Los Angeles that are distracting it's just like another planet coming out here so it's like I think you need to be out of your mind like you need to be so unbelievably focused and and a lot of people just get so caught up in day jobs and they get so caught up in this and then they get very self-satisfied and they feel like well I made it sounds bad to say but like it's something you know you got to be sort of like a selfish person you know you got to be very single-minded and it's tough you know it's tough with like day-to-day life because I'm like learning disabled so it's really tough for me to understand like very simple things it made day-to-day life extremely difficult but I knew that like when I would get to make that film I knew it would all make sense you know the stuff in between that could be very difficult so you just got to be able to because people think like oh focus I'm focused like that's so easy that's an easy thing but it's like it's it's actually it's really not you know it's because like, especially out here there's just so many things trying to, to pull you away and you just got to be out of your mind you know what scares you the most and what's the scariest thing you've ever done what scares me the most is probably uh, longevity. Like, I mean, that's like very important to me to have longevity. Like, I don't want to be like a, a short-term filmmaker. Even if I make a lot of like terrible movies, I still want to like have longevity. Like, I want to keep making movies for the rest of my life. I guess like, what's the scariest thing? Well, I mean, I went skydiving once in Arizona. <laughs> I mean, that was because I'm terrified of heights. I don't know why I even did it. My friend Jesus. talked me into it, you know. <laughs> and I gotta say, man, it's like you, you feel so cool going up in the plane. I was so cool the entire time, like so chill. And then like literally when that door opened, I was like ten thousand feet in the sky and like the wind was blowing like 500 miles an hour in my face it was just like the most terrifying i mean when that door opened it was like another dimension like Mm -hmm. it was just so i think the scariest parts are when the door opens 
and when the shoot pops up. Those two moments are like terrifying because they're just, they're so sudden. That's probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Uh, yeah, I'll never do it again. <laughs> I'll never do it again. You know what that noise means. It's time for the lightning round. All right, so we're gonna wind things down right now. Yeah. We're gonna do the lightning round. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. There are no wrong answers, just fast answers. There you go. All right. Favorite 80s slasher? Uh, Sleepaway Camp 2. Nice. Nice Favorite post-apocalyptic movie? Ah, oh my God. Uh, Book of Eli. Wow, okay. Yeah, pro <laughs> probably not, but uh, like, like, that, I think that's a great, I think it's a great movie. Uh, which Ninja Turtle do you identify with the most? Uh, uh, oh God, I don't know, Raphael, maybe? Favorite starship captain? Uh, oh my God, I whoever the captain was in Alien, Tom Skerritt, he gets killed 30 minutes into the movie, but you know. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a great actor. <laughs> Blazing yeah. Saddles or History of the World? Oh, uh, probably Blazing Saddles because I've just seen it so many times. All right. What is your favorite underrated sequel? Uh, oh my God, uh, Never in Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Definitely <laughs> underrated. <laughs> People hate that movie. <laughs> All right. We might have to unpack that a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather die in a Saw movie or die in a Human Centipede movie? Oh my god. Oh, jeez. Uh, Saw movie. I think the Human Centipede movies are revolting. What horror villain would you want to hire as a personal bodyguard? Jason Voorhees, definitely. I mean, he's like very, he's terrifying. If you had to become a classic movie monster, what would it be and uh, why? I don't, know, the, I don't know. The giant crocodile in Lake Placid? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just love, uh, you know, upstate New York is great. You know, it's really beautiful. Right? I, I would be a vampire because I'm already up all night anyways and I hate mornings, okay, but that's just me. How would you survive if you were the final girl? Well, I probably probably wouldn't survive, honestly, because I'm just not that kind of personality. I feel like I'm the kind of personality that would die within five minutes. <laughs> you're, the, you're the first act friend. Yeah, I, I would, yeah my friends always joke around that I who would die first, and, and I would definitely get killed. <laughs> What's the last thing that you binge-watched? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Girlfriend Experience with uh, Riley Q. Ooh, I really liked yeah. it a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really liked it. Alright, Chris, thank you so much yeah, for yeah, being totally, on yeah. the show. I loved it, yeah. It's definitely a pleasure. Yeah, it went by so quick. Yeah, it was great. Uh, if there are places for people to find out more information about Drifter, you know, screenings, more info, where, where should they go? Uh, probably, you can just follow me on Instagram uh, under my name, uh, Chris Von Hoffman, or just go on, you can find Drifter feature film on Facebook and also me on Facebook and the, all that's on those three outlets. You know, you can find any information on there. All right. And fans can find us on Facebook as well. We're at the point of a knife and you can follow us on Twitter. We are at point of a knife. Thank you very much. You got it. Big thanks to Chris for taking some time to chat with us during his busy press blitz for Drifter. I highly recommend you check out the film on VOD as soon as you can. Next episode, I'm sitting down with independent horror creator Gene Blaylock, who founded his own production company, Serif Films, in order to make more content and get more people involved in making horror. You can find their popular series, Horror Haiku, on their YouTube channel, as well as his numerous other short films and web series. At the Point of a Knife was created and hosted by me, Eric Navaretti, and produced by Renee Amador. At the Point of a Knife is an automaton creative production. For more of our work, visit our new site, automatoncreative.com. Logo and title designed by Jonathan B. Perez. For more of his work, check out jonathanbperez.com. Be sure to follow the show on Facebook and subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and help more people find the show by sharing with friends and leaving us a review. 